Uh, today we come to probably the most somber six hours in all of history. And those six hours were Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, as we come to this, I remember one of my professors many years ago saying that he had ordered some nails uh, to resemble the nails that were used in crucifying Jesus. And today with the internet, you don't need to order them. You can just bring them right up on the screen. These are first century Roman nails, the kind that Jesus was crucified with. And as you can see, these are not nails at all, are they? They are spikes. And think of these being driven through the wrists and the feet of our Savior And he endured that for you and for me. Now many critics have doubted the crucifixion narrative. They said that Romans did not use spikes in Palestine for crucifixion. There were different ways the Romans crucified their victims. Sometimes they would use ropes to tie their victims to the cross... And so there was no evidence of spikes in the first century. And so the critics said the gospel accounts were made up. They are non-historical. And then in 1968, one of the most important archaeological discoveries was made. A Jewish ossuary um, found in Jerusalem was dated to before 70 A.D., right around the time of Christ. In that ossuary was found a uh, heel bone with a Roman spike still driven through it. And uh, this uh, young man whose bones were found in this ossuary box was in his 20s when he was crucified. Because there was no evidence of traumatic injury to his forearms, it appears as though this is how he was crucified, that his feet were nailed while his arms were tied by ropes to the cross beam of the cross. You know, I just have to say it again. Once again, the critics are wrong, aren't they? And the Bible is right. Roman spikes were used in the first century. And so, as we open up our Bibles, we are not reading fiction. Uh, This is not made up. We can trust this book. We are reading a historical account that is giving us the factual truth of what happened to our Savior. We know the account is reliable. But the question for us today is, what does it mean? When Jesus was on the cross for those six hours, what does that mean for you and me? Well, this morning as we turn to Mark 15, we're going to see a little principle that comes out of the crucifixion scene. We, we all know the details, but here's what we learn. In the crucifixion, the actions Jesus took show the choices that Jesus made. We all know that he was not a helpless victim. This was not something that was done simply to him, but it was something he chose. And in the actions that Jesus took in those six hours, that morning and afternoon, Jesus was making some all-important choices. 
Let's open our Bibles again this morning to Mark 15. We're getting very, very close to the end of this series. There will be a message, one more message in Mark 15, and then the resurrection will come on Easter Sunday. But let's take a moment, shall we, and just bow our heads together and and let's pray before we begin. Lord, every Christian just finds this account of the crucifixion of our Savior to be one of the most sacred places that we go in the Bible. And we know the whole New Testament is written to us to explain what Jesus accomplished. And when He rose again three days later, what that means for us. And in all that we now have as children of God and the inheritance that is awaiting for us someday in heaven, it all comes back to these events. And so guide us this morning as we are brought beyond the events really into the very heart of Jesus and why He and the Father chose that it would be this way. We, Lord, love You today, but we certainly know that it is because You first loved us. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with verses 21 to 24 and notice what the Bible says to us. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Here's the first action of Jesus and the first choice that he made. Jesus refused this drink that was offered to him. And the reason he did so was he chose suffering. It was very common and customary for devout women to prepare a solution that would dull the pain of those executed. You may know that myrrh is a narcotic, and it has a narcotic effect because it would drug the person taking it. It was very much like we would think of morphine today. But Jesus refused this narcotic that would have deadened the pain and drugged him. I can't help but think of my own father who died of gangrene poison in his leg. And the last couple of weeks, he needed morphine to deaden the pain. But Jesus here, refusing the myrrh with the wine, would have been very much like my father, refusing the morphine and instead accepting the pain. Now, why did Jesus do this? Well, back in Mark 8.31, the Bible says that Jesus said, "...the Son of Man must suffer many things." You know that he said to the disciples that he had to drink the cup that the Father had prepared for him. And we know that that was a cup of suffering. And so rather than avoid his sufferings, Jesus chose to fully enter into them, to fully embrace them. And what sufferings they were. The sufferings that Jesus experienced were were torture. First of all, back in verse 15, we are told that he was scourged. 
that the Roman soldiers scourged him. This was an unbelievably brutal beating. The victim was stripped and tied to a post, and then they were whipped with a Roman flagrum, what we commonly call a cat of nine tails. Here's an image of what that was like. There was generally a a wooden handle. There were nine leather thongs. There was embedded uh, towards the end small bone pieces, and then it was tipped with metal balls. Here's a more authentic uh, picture of what the cat of nine tails, the Roman flagrum, looked like. The victim's back was literally shed to ribbons all the way to the bone under this type of whipping. Some victims would lose eyes as the whip would come a little high and and lacerate around the face and when it would be ripped back, it could pull out an eyeball. Others became unconscious, delirious with the pain and some died because of the tremendous loss of blood. In addition to this scourging, we also have the crucifixion. As you read through this chapter eight times, eight times it says he was crucified. Verse 13, 14, 15, 20, 24, 25, 27, 32. Many of Mark's original readers had seen a crucifixion. And so when eight different times they read Jesus was crucified, the events were very, very vivid for them. When uh, they arrived at the place here, Golgotha, which uh, apparently was sort of a mount that looked somewhat like a skull, so it means the place of the skull, the crossbeam was placed on the ground. And Jesus would have had his arms stretched out, and he would have been nailed to that crossbeam. Then it was raised upright, and it was fastened to the post that was already standing upright in the hole that it was put in. Jesus' feet would have been crossed, and a seven-inch spike, like we saw, would have been driven through both feet. Halfway up the post was a wooden ledge called the saddle, And it was there to help support the weight of the victim's body. Crucifixion literally means fixed to a cross. And it was slow and excruciating. It was not uncommon that the death for the victim could take as long as seven days before they died. Listen to how C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, described death by crucifixion, the buzzing cloud of flies around the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time to gain breath hitched up against the post. No wonder the Roman author Cicero said crucifixion was the grossest, cruelest, most hideous manner of execution. Now I want you to think about this. 
Jesus refused the narcotic so that he would fully enter into the suffering. And if we ask why, well, I think we begin to know, don't we? Sin causes unimaginable suffering in this world, doesn't it? Just look at the news or, or read the newspaper. And everywhere you turn, people suffer because of sin. And so Jesus chose to completely identify with that sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ suffered once for all that He might bring us to God. And Jesus' atonement included sufferings as well as His death. Bearing God's wrath included torture as well as death. Jesus bore all the effects of sin. The cross says to us, Jesus not only paid for sin, He suffered for sin. He paid it all and He bore it all for you and for me. Now as we continue in this story, this narrative, this true account, I want you to notice the second thing. Jesus bore a sign. And in bearing that sign, He chose rejection. Look with me, if you would, at verses 25 and 26. And it was the third hour when they crucified Him. And the inscription of the charge against Him read, The King of the Jews. What would happen in a crucifixion is that the victim would wear a public notice of his crimes. And that would be a warning from the Romans to anyone else that would be tempted to commit the same crimes. When we put together the gospel accounts, what we discover is that the sign above Jesus' head was in three languages. As we see it here, it was in Hebrew. It was in Latin, which uh, is a little more plain to us, and it was in Greek. And the inscription was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You know this was at Passover, and uh, Jerusalem at Passover was a very cosmopolitan city. And so all of these languages would have been uh, spoken, and people as they saw Christ being crucified would have been able to read the charge. Now you know that Pilate did this as an insult. He did it purposely to enrage the Jews. But what he was absolutely unaware of was that he stated the truth, didn't he? One of the great ironies of Jesus' trials and his crucifixion is those who were his very enemies and the things they said unwittingly stated the very truth about Him. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus died as a king. He had royal blood in His veins. And so, they did not just reject anyone, but they rejected Israel's very ruler. You may recall that Jesus told a parable about this. We call it the parable of the nobleman who uh, went on a journey and, and, and left uh, the place where he was uh, the, the rightful heir to the throne and to the leadership. And in that parable, Jesus says this in Luke 19.14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, 
saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And on the cross, Jesus chose that rejection so that by His redemption, He could be Lord of your life and Lord of my life. This past week, I spent a little bit of time reading the life story of this man that you see on the screen. And if you are a Major League Baseball fan, you immediately recognize who this man is. This man is Daryl Strawberry. He was an immensely talented Major Leaguer. He went to the All-Star Game eight years in a row. He won four World Series championships. But his life was completely out of control. He was addicted to alcohol, drugs. He was involved in tax evasion. He was guilty of domestic abuse. And one day when he stood before a circuit court judge to explain his involvement in drugs, this is what he said, Life has not been worth living for me. That's the honest truth. But this man who had it all and lost it all was gloriously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was amazingly transformed. Now there was a process involved in this transformation. It did not happen all overnight. But today he leads Strawberry Ministries, restoring lives and relationships. And he preaches the gospel. And this is what he said on his website. You can take a look at it for yourself. He said, I once was very lost and tormented, but now I am found and free in Christ Jesus. I want everyone to experience the saving and transforming power of Jesus Christ. You see, that's why Jesus, the King, chose rejection. That by His resurrection, He might become the King over you and me and people like Daryl Strawberry who were once very lost and very tormented. Think about what we are learning as we look at the cross. Such a great person praying such, paying such a great price means God wants a great surrender. Let's continue on in this account. Notice next, Jesus hung between thieves and He chose love. He chose love. Look at verse 27. And with Him they crucified two robbers, one on His right and one on His left. If you want to read verse 28, you must drop down to the margin in many of our Bibles. And the scripture was fulfilled that says he was numbered with the transgressors. Now why is verse 28 in the margin, the footnotes of our Bibles? Well, it's because it's not in the oldest Greek manuscripts. And so my translation, the English Standard Version, I know the New International Version does the same thing, places it in the footnotes because it's not in the oldest manuscripts. But it is interesting that Jesus quoted this very verse from Isaiah 53.12 in Luke 27, 22, verse 37. 
So whether it's a part of the original text here in Mark or not, the truth of this verse is certainly here, that Jesus was numbered amongst the transgressors. It's interesting, when Mark refers to these two men as robbers, the Jewish historian Josephus uses the very word uh, to describe uh, uh, people who were revolutionaries. So very likely, these two men crucified with Jesus were part of Barabbas' gang. They were to be executed with him on that Good Friday uh, and Barabbas was to be in the middle of them in the place of Jesus. What were these men like? Well, they were no petty thieves. They were hardened murderers on death row. They were the kind of men who would kill without a twinge of conscience. Jesus took his place among the most lawless men possible the lowest of the very low. I think we could liken it today like this. It would be like hanging between two 9-11 terrorists from Guantanamo Bay Prison. That would be similar to the two men Jesus hung between. Now I think all of us know today Jesus chose this for one primary reason, to show us how much He loves us. To show us that none of us could sin so bad that God would stop loving us. To show us that God loves the worst of us every bit as much as the best of us. This cross between two terrorists says Jesus chose love. Jesus chose love. One day, a pastor friend of mine, by the name of Pastor Tom, came into his church, and the sanctuary was visible from where his office was. And as he looked into the sanctuary that morning, he saw a single solitary woman and she was standing near the front of the church and, and she was just staring at the cross. Just staring at it for a long, long period of time. And finally, Pastor Tom said, I, I went over to her and, and I said to her, is something wrong? Are you okay? Can I help you in any way? Why was she staring at the cross? And this is what she said. I just need to know that someone still loves me. I just need to know that someone still loves me. I don't know the circumstances in that woman's life. But very clearly, they were very bad. And she felt alone and unloved, very possibly rejected. But when she looked at the cross in her church, she knew 
someone still loves me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If we are ever in a place in our life where we wonder, does God still love me? The place to look is the cross. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And what does the Bible tell me is the greatest expression of the love of Jesus. He chose to hang between the worst of the worst. That's love. That's love. Noticed next, Jesus stayed on the cross and He chose salvation. Look at verse 29. And the Bible says, And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him also reviled him. If I were to ask you this morning, what three offices does Jesus hold? You could tell me, Pastor, he has three messianic offices. He is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. And did you know the verses that we just read, Jesus was mocked in all three of his offices. Look again at verse 29. Remember what they said about him? You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Remember that was a prophecy of Jesus. He said, you destroy this temple in three days and, 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 and in three days I will rise it up. And he was talking, the Bible says, about the temple of his body. So Jesus prophesied that in three days he would rise from the dead. They mocked him as prophet. Notice verse 31, they mocked him as priest. He saved others, he could not save himself. Oftentimes in the uh, gospel accounts, when it says Jesus healed somebody, the word that is used is the same word in the rest of the New Testament for saving somebody. And when Jesus would say to somebody, your sins are forgiven of you, he was acting as a priest who can give salvation, and so they mocked him as priest. He saved others. He cannot save himself. And then you know his third prophetic messianic office was the office of king. And in verse 32, they mocked him as king. Let the Christ the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. He was the long-awaited Son of David, King of the Jews. And He was mocked as King. Do you see this with me? 
There was no aspect of the person of Christ that was not made fun of. Remember last week I said there are two ways you can mock Christ. You can mock His person or you can mock His word. And here both are involved as He was mocked as prophet, as priest, and as king. In a sermon on this passage, Pastor Jerry Vine said this, Each time I read verse 32, something inside me wells up, and I want to say, Lord, show them that you can do it. Come on down. Have you ever felt that way as you read the Gospel of Counts? There is something within all of us that when we see somebody mocked, we just want to say, show them. Teach them a lesson. And every time we read these words, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe, there's something within us that wants to say, Lord Jesus, come down and show them who you really are. But we're glad He didn't come down, aren't we? The issue here is not that Jesus could not have come down. The issue is He would not come down. That's the issue. William Booth founded the Salvation Army. And this is what he said, It is because Jesus did not come down from the cross that we believe in Him. For had He decided to come down, we know He would not have been the Savior who could not have risen again for us three days later and provided a salvation that we could believe in. But because He stayed on the cross, endured all the suffering, all the pain, and gave His very life in death and then rose again, that's why. We believe on Him. I do not usually cry when I'm preparing for a sermon. I'm always moved by God's Word as I study during the week. And I never enter the pulpit without being greatly moved by the truth that I have learned from this book. If I ever do come into this pulpit and I have not been moved by the truth that I'm about to present, it is time for me to no longer be in the pulpit. But I don't normally cry when I study during the week. But this week, I broke down and I cried. You cannot look at the cross... You cannot see what Jesus chose and not be moved by it. You cannot really understand what He did for us and remain indifferent. He chose suffering. He chose rejection. He chose love. And He chose salvation. And these true events that we read and we know 
this is a historical account for us as believers have such a deep, deep meaning. Would you read them with me this morning? Read them with me. This is what the cross means to you. This is why you believe in Jesus. And He is the most precious thing that you have. Let's read them together. He chose suffering. He chose rejection. He chose love. He chose salvation. Let's bow our hearts together this morning. Lord, it is so important that we come back to the cross. We know that the crucifixion and the resurrection are the central events of all history. We know that history really is His story. And what He has accomplished there has changed our lives not only for time, but also for eternity. And we were once lost and tormented. But now we have been changed by the transforming power of Jesus Christ and what He did when He died and rose again. And Lord, in this world of woe, there are many times we suffer, we feel abandoned, we've experienced rejection and pain. And we sometimes do wonder, does God really notice? Does He really care? Does He love me? Is He there? And it's when we come to the cross, And we see what His own Son, the Innocent One, God of very God and perfect man, did for us. That all the questions are resolved. Of course, God loves us. Of course, God is there. Of course, God did the very thing that will rescue us and deliver us one day 
from it all. And with that woman, we, we look at the cross and we say, I just need to know that someone still loves me. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for giving us an ordinance, the Lord's table, whose sole purpose is to remind us of these events so that we might mull them over and over in our minds to see the great price that was paid for our salvation. And Lord, nothing motivates us in the Christian life. Nothing causes us to want to fight the battle with sin and with Satan. To keep going despite the discouraging circumstances. Like the love of Jesus in the face of the cross. If Jesus be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for Him. And that's why we live this Christian life. That's why we serve You. That's why we try time and time again, despite our failures and despite our weaknesses, because we love that Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. Thank You now, Lord, that we can come to the Lord's Supper following looking at the cross. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.